Welcome back, U.S. History. So, if you remember, in our last exciting podcast, that we talked about World War II. So, ah, World War II is over. The world is a safer place. I'm sure nothing bad will happen, or countries won't start making giant nuclear weapons that could destroy all life on Earth, or you know, anything like that. So, anyhow, that brings us to the Cold War. Now, the Cold War is pretty big, pretty extensive, so um, we're going to be having multiple different podcasts, so don't worry, you get to hear my voice over and over and over again. So this podcast, and maybe we'll be splitting it up into a couple little smaller podcasts, um, I try to like to keep it at about the 20 minute mark, so we'll see what happens here, but we're going to be talking about the Cold War in general, and you know, it getting started and whatnot, uh, so tension and stuff, and we'll be talking about this tension uh, taking place specifically in Berlin. Korea, and then also some stuff back in the United States with McCarthyism. So let's get started here with talking about the Cold War. So now that World War II is over, the United States enters a Cold War, which is a state of political tension and military rivalry between nations that stops short of full-scale war. So basically you've got two different sides that are flexing their muscles in any way, shape, or form, be it trying to beat the others in the Olympics, trying to get to the moon first, We'll talk about that one a little bit later. Spying on one another, um, starting other little wars between different countries that are kind of the big countries fighting, but we disguise it as smaller ones. So anyhow, that's everything we're going to be seeing here. So right off the bat, we see two big super sides forming. We have in the left corner wearing the blue trunks, NATO, and that stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and that is a collective security agreement formed in 1949. So basically, the United States and 11 other Western European countries all come together and say, look, we're all working together. You attack one of us, it's like attacking all of us. So it's super national. All right? And meaning not just like one nation, like it's a group of nations. And then Standing in the other corner in the red trunks, weighing in at 212 pounds, Russia and basically the Warsaw Pact, which is a collective security agreement among eight communist states. So, just to give you an idea, we have the NATO countries, and some joined a little bit later than others, but the all of them basically here are the main ones. Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, United Kingdom, and the United States. Look at that. It was even in alphabetical order. All right. And the communist ones. Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, Hungary, Poland, Poland, Romania, Soviet Union, and Albania. And I put them down kind of at the last, which kind of broke our uh, alphabetical order here because they withdrew in 1968. Um, so, uh, the United States, um, you know, just kind of a little overview here. We are all about individual freedom, capitalist economy, and democratic government. And then you have the Soviet Union and all their buddies, communist government, one ruling party, um, and then a state-run economy. And that kind of, those, those, I know that's just like three little differences here, but trust me, there's more. But those are the main reasons that we just didn't get along with one another. We just couldn't be friends, really. So, anyhow, after World War II is over, we had the spread of communism throughout Eastern European countries, and they just started kind of falling one, uh, one after another. 
And, you know, we're getting into this fear of the spread of communism, which was kind of like the Red Scare Part 1. So we're getting ready for Red Scare Part 2. But this policy or this, I don't know, a term for the Soviet Union taking over country after country uh, became known as the Soviet Expansion, which, you know, pretty pretty creative name there, Soviet Expansion. They're expanding. Oh, go figure. So, um the nations that were under Soviet control, because you have the main Soviet country, you know, Soviet Union, uh, Russia, and then you have the ones that are kind of under their control. And these be- kind of became satellite nations where like, they're like, oh, yeah, we're an independent country, but we're really just listening to the Soviet Union. So they, they became satellite nations, and those were kind of known as being behind the Iron Curtain, uh, which was the phrase that Winston Churchill of the United Kingdom, uh, he coined that phrase, and a little quote from here in my not-so-good British accent. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to say spot a T at the end and turn it into British. So, from Stettin in the Baltic to Triste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Or spot T. That's how it becomes English. Anyhow, so he, that's when he coined the phrase that the iron curtain has descended. So, the United States we needed to stop the spread of communism. So this became a policy of containment. We are containing all of the Soviet Union communism expansion and so forth. And so this, um, we started to pass some policies to make this happen. So the first policy to kind of stop the spread of communism was the Truman Doctrine, 1947. So just two years after the end of World War II. So Harry S. Truman said, quoting here, It must be the policy of the United States to support free people who are resisting attempted subjugation, also known as conquest, by armed minorities or by outside pressures. So basically, any country that is trying to stop from being taken over um, from, you know, anyone inside or outside of the country, basically like these minorities or these Soviet countries or Soviet people viewing ways, we're going to come in and help them out. So it said we'll give aid to any country who doesn't want to be communist, essentially. And now, for the most part, it was just helping out two different countries. So um, it pledged 40, I'm sorry, $400 million in aid to Greece and Turkey. And kind of the idea behind it is if the people in these countries are doing poorly, communism is going to sound like a good idea. But if everyone is doing well, wealthy, has got good jobs, then Communism doesn't really have a lot of appeal. Now, remember, that's just Greece and Turkey. That's two two states. That's it. Or two countries, sorry. Just that's it. Um, so we're going to expand this one year later in 1948 with the Marshall Plan, um, also known as the European Recovery Program. And this was uh, by hatched by then U.S. Secretary of State George C. Marshall. Uh, And the goal of this plan was to rehabilitate the economies of 17 Western and Southern European countries. So it's basically kind of doing the same thing as the Truman Doctrine, but it's doing it on a much grander scale, 17 countries. Um, And it's all about helping out the economies, because if the economies are doing well, people don't want communism. So the United States feared that poverty and other unemployment afterwards um, during this time Uh, in Europe especially, would reinforce the appeal of communism to the voters uh, or to the people of Western Europe and Southern European countries. So they gave $12.7 billion, which was just an unheard of amount during this time. And it it got a little bit of protest, but um, anyhow, 
most, um, or I'm sorry, the most aid went to West Germany um, because that was kind of a hot button area. Because if you remember, at the end of World War II, Germany kind of got split up. I'll review that in a second. Um, also, the United Kingdom and France received a lot of aid, over $200 million each. Other countries uh, that received money and funds for reconstruction and so forth, Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Greece, Iceland, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Sweden, Switzerland, and Turkey. Alphabetical order. Um, and this continued on up until 1951, uh, and it was based when the United States got involved with the Korean conflict or the Korean War, which we'll get into that one a little bit later on in this unit. So anyhow, we kept giving aid up until 51, so 48 to 51. All right, so now a little bit of a backtrack here. Hopefully you remember, but if not, we'll go over it again here. So if you remember the Yalta Conference, which was the meeting of the big three, and this was during World War II, um, they made the decision that Germany was going to get split up into four parts, um, a part owned by France, part owned by Britain, the United States, and the Soviet Union. So the Marshall Plan helped out the non-Soviet side, so France, Britain, and I guess the United States. Um, and, and, it was, and then finally in June of 1948, they decided, you know what, we're not even going to have split sides, we're just going to combine them. Well, that's not exactly going to make the Soviet Union very happy, and we'll get into that. So um, anyhow, they formed the West German government, and since the Soviets were angry, they kind of wanted to show some way to get upset about this. So it, um, the anger, or being upset and taking it out, all took place in Berlin, and Berlin is the capital of Germany, and it was on the side of the Soviets, the eastern part of Germany. So there's like this little island uh, that is Berlin that is actually split up into four parts as well. So you have the west side of Berlin, which is owned by America, Britain, and France, and they combine their, their zones again, just like the rest of the western part of Germany, and then you have the Soviet side. So the Soviet Union got real angry, and on June 24, 1948, they blocked all roads, canals, and railways, and anything like that entering uh, the western part of Berlin that was owned by western German powers. And the big things that were cut off were food, fuel, and medical supplies, and you know all, all the stuff that you need to run a city. All right, so their goal was to drive out all Western powers out of Berlin. They said we don't want, you know, Soviet Union did not want to have a little island of democracy within their giant Soviet Union kind of thing. So they thought that they had kind of beat us at this point. So we tried to find a way to get around this blockade, and that's when we instituted the Berlin Airlift. So over the next 15 months, the British and American planes carried more than 2 million tons of food and other supplies to the people living in West Berlin. And we weren't even 100% sure that Russia wouldn't try to shoot us down. So um, this was a pretty risky thing, and the coordination alone was ridiculous. There was like a new plane landing with supplies about every two minutes, if you do the math. It was something right around two minutes or two minutes, 30 seconds or something. And that was every two minutes all the time. Now, granted, some might come in more, but if you did the average, that's what it would be round the clock for 10 months. So they completed 277,264 flights. And this went on until May of 1949, when the Soviet Union finally just embarrassed that they couldn't starve us out or get rid of us. They finally just said, all right, fine, you can start trading again.
but the Soviet Union isn't done yet with Berlin. Um, and that will kind of come into play a little bit later on because, um, well, I'll talk about that division. All right. So, anyhow, the Allies, they set up the Republic, the Federal Republic of Germany um, that was all of the West. The Soviets, the East, was known as the German Democratic Republic. I know, pretty similar names, and they both sound democratic, but they're well, one of them's not. And this division between the two lasted for 40 years, and it wasn't until 1989 that the Berlin Wall, which we'll be getting into uh, soon here, um, finally fell, and in 1991 the Soviet Union fell. So anyhow, um, like I said, this aid to these other countries by the Marshall Plan and also big-time helping out Germany and everything, all of that came to an end when America entered the Korean conflict or the Korean War. So, now, in the 40s, political tension was increasing in Korea. Japan had controlled Korea from 1910 to 1945. All right, 1945, we kicked out Japan. So, now we have this area that was previously conquered. Now it's been freed. So, what's going to happen? Who's going to be in control of it? So, the country was divided up into the Soviet-occupied North and the United States occupied South. All right. So, and this is in the early 40s or mid 40s, I guess. And this division was supposed to be temporary, but when the Cold War started kind of really gearing up and becoming a whole bunch of tension there, um, Korea became another area that kind of showed the the division between the Soviets and the Americans. So just like Germany, now we have Korea. So. In 1948, the communists uh, were ruling the North under control of Kim Il-sung. And then the South was the President Sigmund Rhee. And the South, you know, supposed to be all about, you know, America and American control and stuff, but it was still an authoritarian government. It was just, it happened to not be communist. So we're okay with it, I guess. So the North was known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which sounds pretty democratic and nice and whatnot, uh, but, you know, not so much, uh, communist. And then the South was the Republic of Korea. So the United States helped to build up the South Korean army, and then at that point, both the Allies and the Soviets kind of left Korea. All right, so maybe not quite as much, but they were supposed to. So this division between the two forces was at the 38th parallel, or line of latitude for the most part. But on June 25th, 1950, the North invaded the South. And boom, right away, the United Nations Security Council said, we need to stop this. There needs to be an immediate ceasefire. And the United States, they pledged to help out South Korea. Well, the United Nations passed a vote that said that North Korea was the aggressor's. And the Soviet Union, which was part of the Security Council, actually was boycotting the vote. And they thought that, hey, if we just don't vote, there's nothing you guys can do. Well, <laughs> the United Nations was like, if you don't vote, you guys just don't get a vote. So, anyhow, that didn't work out in the Soviet Union's favor there. So, um, so now the United States were supporting the South. And so Truman, President Truman, ordered U.S. forces into action under command of General Douglas MacArthur. And he has been a pretty big figure in World War II and even before that as well. So at first, the North Koreans, uh, with the help of Soviet weapons, um, were doing very well. And they were pushing Allied forces back. And by September, the Allies were pushed all the way back to the city of Pusan, which is like at the very bottom 
bottom of, of Korea. So MacArthur, now being fully in charge, he used a risky strategy. He actually divided his troops, and he did a flanking maneuver by landing in Incheon, which is a city not far from the 38th parallel, and he took that city, and then he took control of the capital of South Korea, Seoul, and by flanking them, um, and sorry, flanking, for those who don't know, uh, definition, is a military tactic, um, or flanking maneuver here, um, or like a flank attack, and it's basically you hack the side of your enemy. So he had some of his troops down in, in Pusan at the bottom, and then he put another set of troops behind the troops that were attacking Pusan, and then kind of sandwiched them. And it worked. So now the North Koreans are actually on the run, and MacArthur is taking over pretty much all of all of South Korea and most of North Korea, and he keeps pushing and attacking, and he pushes them all the way up to the Yalu River, and the Yalu River borders China. Well, MacArthur had strict orders not to get too close to China, because you don't want to make China angry. Well, since the Yalu River borders them, they got angry. So the Chinese sent around 300,000 troops across the border and just started pushing the United Nations forces or the Allied forces commanded by MacArthur, pushed them all the way back. And so we just kept retreating, and winter it was very very cold there and we kept suffering heavy losses and we kept retreating but we were finally able to kind of slow them down or stop them i guess uh when we finally got to the 38th parallel so at this point macarthur is furious he is so angry with the chinese for attacking us when this isn't supposed to be their fight and whatnot and he has requested the use of atomic bombs to not only hit parts of North Korea, but parts of China and parts of the Soviet Union. And by this time, the Soviet Union actually had nuclear weapons as well. And so MacArthur's just furious and requests the use of atomic bombs and everything. Well, President Truman says no and just completely denies him on this. So MacArthur is being, being furious about everything that's going on. He starts to publicly criticize the President of the United States and kind of just takes over and says, look, we are going to gain an unconditional surrender from North Korea, basically meaning we win, you lose, we dictate everything, you get no say. And this completely went against what Truman was trying to do, or at least it took away power from Truman. And in April of 1951, Truman says, you're fired, basically, and you know just kind of kicks, kicks out MacArthur. So the people loved MacArthur. He was a war hero. And Truman, you know, not exactly, I guess, the most beloved guy at the time. Um, people were upset with Truman, and they started to boo him in, in public. And, um, and Truman, his approval rating just plummeted during this time. Um, so anyhow, people booed him on many occasions. MacArthur, on the other hand, he came home, and he was just given a hero's welcome. And so, now granted, the Korean War isn't even over at this time. All right, so um, by the summer of 1951, it was just a complete stalemate. So um, peace talks were going nowhere, and we're getting close to 52 here with the election. And so Truman is up for re-election, but decides not to run. And remember, his approval rating is just going down. And so he had a high rating of 86 out of 100 in 1945, the end of the war, uh, World War II, and now... At 1952, his approval rating is 22. And so for the first time in 20 years, the Republicans saw a chance 
to win the White House. And so the Republicans nominated Dwight D. Eisenhower, another World War or I'm sorry, a World War II veteran, and he promised to resist communism at all um, like at all costs basically and base and, and end the war. So everyone seemed to kind of like Dwight D. Eisenhower, former, you know, World War II uh, general and everything. So um, now he, he did win presidency, and he stepped up bombing runs in North Korea, and he kind of hinted at using nuclear weapons. And finally, North Korea was brought to the peace table, and the war kind of ended July 27th, 1953. And when I say kind of ended, it was an armistice. And an armistice is an agreement made by the opposing sides in a war to stop fighting for a certain amount of time and form a truce. So we're just, I, I, we, could, we could still get back to war, I guess. Um, and who knows, it could happen. There's a lot of tension still in North Korea and South Korea and America and just Western theologies and stuff. So the armistice uh, was set and divided Korea into two separate nations at the 38th parallel. And... So in the end, 54,000 Americans died and 103,000 were wounded, and more than 1.5 million Koreans and Chinese had died during this time. And if you think about it, we had a lot of people that were injured and died, and the war stopped at the same spot that it ended. I'm sorry, that it started. So we really didn't gain anything. We really didn't lose anything. So a lot of people kind of refer to the war as the Forgotten War um, because there's not a ton with it anymore. I mean, it, it didn't, not a lot happened. There wasn't a big Pearl Harbor event and all those kind of things. So I think we're going to stop there for now. I'm going to do one more podcast, and it's going to be a very quick one. Um, I just don't want to get this one too far over 20 minutes. I'm already up to 22. So uh, we're going to stop there, and I'll pick up with another one on McCarthyism. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.